Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, one chapter at a time. And here we are, Isaiah chapter 45. It really continues what we already started reading. The section kind of already began back in chapter 44 at verse 24. And what it is here is really the central chapter in this whole section of maybe about eight chapters here. The cat is out of the bag. How is God doing all this stuff? How is God saving the exiled people? One word, Cyrus. And it's a scandalous word because here we are in chapter 45, and here he's called not merely God's shepherd or God's instrument or any of these things. He's called the Lord's anointed. In other words, his Messiah. What? A foreigner being called the Messiah? It's a, it's a very, very strong word here. You got woes in chapter 45 that are spoken on everyone who's doubting this word. It's, it's a tough word that God is giving through the prophet Isaiah. But he's saying, hey, I am the Lord. I am the God of all the nations. And I can use even this foreign king who doesn't really know me very well for my purposes. And uh, it really just is a chapter all about the sovereignty of God working in this mysterious way and going back to the creation again, saying, this is the God who made everything. Are you really so surprised that he would do something as uh, dramatic from our perspective as this? So quite the chapter to look forward to today. And we're joined I'm excited about this as well. We're joined by Pastor Joel Sheltanis today. We haven't had him on in a little while, and it's the first time that we'll be on together today. He's pastor of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. Good morning, brother. So good to have you on today. Good morning. How are you? Doing doing well. How's it going in Plano, Texas? It's uh, cold and wet, but probably not as cold as it is in, uh, where are you at, St. Louis? Well, that is actually where KFUO is, but I am right now at the campus of Concordia University, Irvine. So oh, it's actually probably I know not it as well, cold and I missed it terribly. As... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's actually not uh, very wet over here very often. Is no, I, I, you know, I served in Pomona for thirteen years. Oh, did you? I yeah. did, and I taught adjunct down at Irvine for about eight years. Oh, wow. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. No. So up, up in Pomona, actually, I, uh, one of the places I was growing up at was in Covina. Oh, Let's sure. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Escape over there. Yeah. Very good. Very cool. good. Well, I tell you what, I, I be, moving from California to Texas, there's, uh, you know, a trade off everywhere you go. I don't miss the taxes or the traffic, <laughs> but I certainly miss that weather. It's just as good as it gets. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I can, I can feel you. Um, I mean, I went through a, an analogous move. We moved from South Orange County to, um, the Houston area. So mm. it was, uh, yeah, I, I remember all my, my, all my California friends saying, so are, are you going to ride a horse to school when you move to Texas? <laughs> yeah, right. Like, <laughs> there, you are there tumbleweeds yes, right? everywhere yeah. in the place you're moving? <laughs> that's right. And you have to wear cowboy boots. That's, yeah, that's uh, actually, yeah, that's how it was. Yep. I moved to Texas and had to do that yep. every day. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. how it is. Everybody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway well so so good so good to have you on and yeah i mean this is um i mean it really is this is like kind of the big climax we've been building up to it for like four uh, four or five chapters here and it's like hey it's cyrus there it is i'm there just gonna is. say it flat out and um I, I mean it just it just loses its punch for us because first of all we're just like hang on who's cyrus because we're so bad at history right um but then secondly we just i don't know we're just not phased by it we're like sure he could 
use anyone he wants. Why not Cyrus, right? But, I mean, it really was a scandalous word in the context of Isaiah. Absolutely. We're going to see that, too, that there's uh, grumbling and complaining about this. And uh, why would you bring up, uh, you know, some Persian king to do this stuff, you know? Uh, you know, why the Persians? We don't like the Persians, right? And uh, so, yep, it's, it's, it's a big reveal. It's a, a, a shocking uh, revelation that, that God uh, gives through his prophet here. Indeed. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to, to think about some of those things. Like, you know, so why wouldn't they maybe like the Persians? Why would they be suspicious of them? You know, and, and maybe on the other hand, uh, what are some of the things that show that, that maybe actually things were not so bad, actually, between the Persians and and the Israelites? There's, there's a lot going on there to really kind of help make this uh, real life here. You know, one can only hope that there'll be a Netflix series on this stage of history at some point. But then again, I don't know how that would turn out. But... <laughs> But anyway, I know, yeah. I know that I know that a lot of those historical shows, like you know, The Crown, seem to be doing well. So maybe maybe we will get one, right? But that would be uh, interesting, wouldn't it? Could be, could be. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Be careful what you wish for. I do for, have I to suppose. confess, I did watch a short YouTube video on Cyrus. Uh, oh, <laughs> there yeah. was a little yeah thing to get 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 the the yeah. bio you know information stuff. It's it is interesting, but I, I get kind of lost in it. I have to be honest with you. I yeah, get, no, uh, no. I mean, I think yeah, no. I I, I have to tell my students uh, over here at UC Irvine that like hey well um you see irvine that's where my wife works at cui that uh well guys i hate to break it to you but your professor was not a history major so mm. <laughs> take what yeah, i say with a grain to, of salt. it's a lot to keep track of it sure it is, is you know? it is uh, but let's go ahead and dive into it then and let's as do we do would you say a prayer for us and for everyone listening today this friday here absolutely let's pray Father, you are indeed uh, a God who hides yourself, and yet you reveal yourself to us through your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would uh, give us a right understanding of your word, that we would know you as you have revealed yourself, know you in truth, and that we might rightly thank and praise you for all that you have done for us. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So I was already saying that, you know, this this chapter kind of properly really begins back in chapter 44, what we looked at yesterday, back at verse right, right. 24. Because, I mean, it's actually in those last several verses that you really have uh, Cyrus named. But um, any any further thoughts about how this fits into the context here? Um, uh, just everything from 40 uh, onwards up to this point. I have no deep thoughts. No, <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I wanted to. Uh, I thought about that, and I thought, no, you probably covered this yesterday, and so I was just ready to go from 45 on. Very um, good, very good. I always, yeah, I, I, I sometimes just make sure to ask because other, otherwise, I, I start reading and uh, and I hear this like. <gasps> Yeah, in the background. <laughs> well, we haven't done this before, so how do you do? You go verse by verse, and then I give comment. Is that kind of what we're going to oh, do? Okay, okay, yeah. Um, I, I think what we'll do is we'll read it in kind of chunks, um, and then we'll kind of. I don't think we'll do sure. verse by verse because we do actually have. This is a decent sized chapter here, twenty five verses. Yeah, it is. So right, right. we're not going to be able to go through verse by verse. Uh, I know that on sharper iron uh, with Pastor Timothy Apple. They have sometimes what I feel is the envious uh, task of only having to go through maybe like eight or ten uh, verses at a time, which you really can go verse by verse like that. But when you have a whole chapter, we're going to have to kind of look at it in kind of big swaths here. Fair enough. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and read then maybe verses one through seven. 
and we can kind of talk about, you know, if there's a couple of things in particular, we can look at those, but kind of like what's the kind of the big thrust of it here. So we're starting up Isaiah 45, ESV, beginning at verse 1. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes and secret places that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. So, I mean, really, uh, just a, a very uh, powerful introduction, focusing on the two aspects of it. You know, one, yes, Cyrus is my guy, and, and like I've really specifically chosen him for this specific purpose. Um, and and then what what is what is the the kind of uh, upshot of all of that? So that people would know that there is this one God, the one who, I mean, and it's really kind of striking the way he puts it, the one who makes light and darkness, the one right. who, so, who creates well-being and calamity. There's no God of chaos and God of order. There is just one God who does it all. That's right. Uh, and, and I want to pay special attention to verse 7, but hit a couple of things uh, getting to it. Um, as you said in the introduction, um, the fact that here God uh, calls Cyrus his anointed is profound. I mean, that he calls him, this is the word Messiah, that he's an anointed one, is just uh, amazing. Right. Uh, but then it becomes clear, too, that he is just uh, a puppet. As it says in verse 2 and 3, you know, you know, Cyrus isn't the one who's going to do all of this stuff. I will go before you. I will break in pieces. I will give you the treasures. You know, it's the Lord who's making all of these things happen. And then um, uh, I want to give credit here. Uh, let, uh, you know, Reed Lessing has a has a big commentary written on Isaiah. I read a yep. handful of read a handful of commentaries in, pre in preparation for today. So if I say anything, you know, really profound, it's probably there. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Lessing says, "Why does God do this?" Why does God use Cyrus? And uh, he gives three reasons. One, Cyrus would, so that Cyrus would know that God helped him. And that's right there in verse 3, that you may know that it is I, the Lord your God of Israel, who call you by your name. Two, so that Israel will be helped by his defeat of Babylon. And that three, so that people may know, I am the Lord and there is no other. And this thought is introduced in verse 5, and it is repeated in 6, and it is repeated right. throughout the chapter, mm -hmm. that this is a very exclusive there is the Lord and none other, no true gods. You may have these idols and other things that people worship as God, but there is no such thing as another God. And that gets at uh, verse 7, which you also said, this, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. Um, this is contra-dualism, which is, you know, all of these, you know, a god of order and chaos, like you said, are yin and yang, and this, you know, two competing equal powers. God says, no, no, no. 
all of this is, is uh, I bring it about. I'm behind and above it, all of it. Um, there is uh, a question here. You know, some have used this to say uh, bad things about God, that he creates evil. And, of course, we know from uh, Scripture that God is not the author of evil, but he is never out, uh, it is never out of his control. He directs things to happen. And, of course, he's not talking here specifically moral evil that he is you know, right. causing. But he allows, uh, well, he allows Israel to fall uh, in, in the consequence of their sin. He allows the Babylonians to, to take them into captivity. And he'll allow Cyrus to rise up against them and take them down. And he'll set the, the Israelites free again. And so God is the one working behind all of this and, and bringing it about. Right. And, and I, I'm glad that you, you were kind of focusing there on that on that point. You said a contra-dualism. I think that that's something that's, well, it's come up actually when we were reading Daniel and Ezra. There, there is something really interesting about what happened when Persian religion came into contact with Israelite religion. And, and there there seems to have been an interesting moment of commonality where there, there, there was actually this overlap, and we, and we saw it in Daniel especially, where Daniel and his friends were able to speak to the Persians and say, hey, you guys know that there is a God in heaven, right? There's this, this God of heaven, this, high, this highest power. And, and the Persians actually kind of, they were not really strictly monotheistic um, quite in the same way as, as uh, the Judeans were. But it, they were kind of close, if you honestly just compared all the other religions of the world. And so there was this little bit of overlap. And so Daniel and his friends could kind of talk to them and say, hey, you know, the, the God of the, the high heaven, you know, the, that, that highest God you guys talk about. Well, that's that's actually our God. See, like our God is actually the supreme one. So they had this this little bit of um, point of contact where they could kind of work, work together and kind of work on common ground. And, and so it's interesting that that there is this idea as you were saying, um, that, that Lessing points out in his commentary, that I mean, it says there, you know, it, I mean, just I mean, it says right there, just in the text, you know, that you may know that it is I, is what it says in verse three. Mm. God's doing this that the Persians would know about Him, and in, and in fact, we we do seem to have this suggestion um, from history, and then from what we read in in Daniel and Ezra, that they did kind of come to know a little bit about this God of Israel. They didn't quite get it right, like we. We look at the Cyrus cylinder, which has brought up, been brought up a couple times here um, on Thy Strong Word, that in the cylinder, anyway, Cyrus, he credits his victory to Marduk, which is actually the god of Babylon. Um, right. You know, and so that's not, you know, it's not quite what we were hoping for. We were hoping he would say that he'd give credit to you know, Yahweh, right? But the thing is, what we don't appreciate is that from, um, from his perspective, from a Persian's perspective, uh, Marduk and Yahweh sound like pretty much the same guy, you know. Like he would he would come and say he'd look at some of the psalms that we have and like talk about how God you know brings rain and thunder and clouds and all of this, and he'd be like, "You're talking about Marduk, right?" Um, so it's imperfect knowledge. <laughs> it's certainly right. not, we would hope for more, but there does seem to be this this thought that the Persians did seem to come aware that there was this other God that they needed to be paying attention to that had something to do with this region west of them. So there, there did seem to be some kind of an awareness, actually, that, that it did historically come about um, that, like, hang on a second, maybe it's not just everything that we were doing. Um, and, and then the kind of the other side of that gets into this dualism point because they actually had a lot of dualistic tendencies um, in Persian religion as well. 
but this seems to perhaps maybe be kind of directly counteracting that, saying, hey, look, you guys maybe had this idea that there's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light and all this. Well, see, our, our God is the one who's over everything. Yeah, it's a profound implication. It's it's a much different way of conceiving uh, the divine, you know, as, as all-encompassing versus, you know, battling uh, another equal power. Right, yeah, and as you said, it's not moral evil there, right? And that's why the ESV, is kind of, it's kind of nice here. It says, I make well-being and create calamity. I mean, it is the Hebrew word ra for just evil, right? But, I mean, it really basically does mean kind of like disaster or, or chaos or calamity in that sense. Um, a, a lot of, a lot of uh, the, the commentators will cite in, for com, uh, comparison uh, Job 2.10 when he says, you know, should we accept only good from God and not evil? Right, uh, the yeah, The Lord that's gives, right. the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, that idea that... Um, when when bad things happen, you say, "Well, the Lord has, has has caused this to happen, or allowed this to happen." However you want to put it, but uh, it it feels like um, okay. God has decided this is what's going to happen, and 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 that's you have right. to, yeah. Yeah, no, no, that, that's right. Yeah, I mean, in English, we have we have so many different words with kind of these very specific, narrow meanings, and so we talk about evil in this kind of very narrow, kind of moral sense of like you know uh, something that is. That, that is sinister or or just wrong or unrighteous or something like that. But the Hebrew word for, for evil is just kind of so big. It, it can include that, but more often than not, it just kind of refers to when things don't go according to plan. And, of course, <laughs> we know that God has a tendency of upsetting the plans of mortals because, you know, we see this again and again and again. Mortals get too proud, like the city of Babylon. And that's what, what's going on there in verses 2. Uh, and, and three that you it says there I will break in pieces the doors of bronze cut through the bonds of uh, the bars of iron I mean that, that's a historical thing that Babylon was just one of the most well fortified cities in the world it had you know tons of gates of bronze they thought that they were invincible didn't they yeah along those lines I want to go back all the way to verse one though too to uh, where it talks about um, opening the doors before him mm -hmm. right uh, one of the historical notes that I read about this is that in 539, it was one of Cyrus's generals who went to Babylon, and the priests of the city surrendered it, uh, and they opened the gates, and they they didn't put up a fight, and they just declared Cyrus uh, Marduk's chosen king, and said, "Okay, here you go." I mean, they they saw the army encircling them and said, "No, we're not going to fight." <laughs> so yeah. that was you know really, literally you know open the gates before him, right? Yep, yep, uh, amazing. Right, no, exactly, exactly. So, so when it, when he says, you know, I'll break them in pieces, I mean, it seems like it's kind of a little bit more metaphorical, like kind of breaking right. the power that they had, um, because right. he didn't actually even have to break them. They they just <laughs> raised him and said, "Come on in," you yep. know. I mean, the 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 taking of Babylon was kind of him, you know, having a parade into the city, uh, more than more than a, you know an actual like siege or uh, you know warfare, but. Right. And it's also interesting, too, even that little part at the beginning in the very, very first part of the first verse, whose right hand I have grasped. Mm. It's interesting that, um, you know, in Babylon, they had this festival where the king um, on New Year's would take the hand of, of the statue of Marduk, the, right. the you know, the reigning, yeah. you know, storm god of Babylon, you know, is that sign that, you know, he has the blessing of the fertility god, you know, this this king is going to reign with this god's backing and power and all the rest, right? And it's very interesting that, you know, it, it's it's like, it, it, to me, it's it's like Isaiah's trying to, you know, speak for God to say, 
okay, you think it's Marduk that that is holding your hand. Mm-hmm. You're giving credit to, to Marduk. Well, okay, you're 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 kind of close. I get how a Persian could think that, <laughs> but it's not actually Marduk. It's actually Yahweh who's doing this for you. Yeah, absolutely, coming through very clearly. I and not another, right? Right. So, so yeah, so it is, it is interesting how it really is just speaking to this historical situation and, um, and, per, and perhaps, you know, all of this clarification that like, okay, I know you're Persian and you've got kind of your strange ideas and you don't really understand the religion um, over here, you know, west of the Euphrates very well, but I'm going to break it down for you a little bit more. Um, it, this is perhaps, you know, um, in a, on a certain level, it's, it, it's said for for their benefit because we do we do find out in Ezra that I mean they do literally come to learn about the the religion of the Israelites mm-hmm. uh, when when they provide them the materials they need for the temple and the materials they need for the sacrifices like there are people in Cyrus's administration who actually have to like learn about like what Moses wrote I mean so it's it's really going to happen on on a on a certain level but I think also too it, I feel like it's being said here for the sake of the exiles because, you know, for them, they're just, like we were saying, the thought that, like, God calls Cyrus, you know, Messiah, I mean, th- their heads have got to be spinning. Yeah, and so, yeah. yeah, that's right. And so for, for, for them, God needs to say, hey, look, guys, like, I'm not just, like, calling him Messiah, and that's, like, the end of it, right? Like, right. It, it, it's this is to reveal my name. This is for the sake of my servant Jacob, it says there in verse 4, right? This is so that everyone would know it's Yahweh and no one else. Yep. Um, one other thing I'd add to that is that uh, I guess Josephus claimed that Cyrus was shown the, these prophecies, was greatly impressed by them. I mean, that's uh, Josephus's uh, take on it. Uh, but there again, that it got all the way up to him that uh, that he may know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. No. That's right. There. There are. There are from Josephus and um, like from Ezra, and there are signs that, like you know, to a certain extent, like these Persians and even Cyrus, did come to really learn something about the God of Israel. Well, let's read a little bit more here. So, like we were saying, the news that Cyrus is this chosen instrument is disarming to the exiles. Let's go ahead and kind of read maybe perhaps a little bit more implicitly about their reaction through verse 10 here. Picking it up at verse 8. Shower, O heavens, from above, and let the clouds rain down righteousness. Let the earth open, that salvation and righteousness may bear fruit. Let the earth cause them both to sprout. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? All right, so just, just pausing there briefly. Um, yeah. we, we, we only have a short, like maybe half a minute before the break here. But you know, this idea, it seems to be directed at the skeptical exiles who are like, hang on, God can't do that. But right, he's saying, right. who are you to say that? Yeah, imagine some grumbling Israelites uh, complaining that God's plan is to use Cyrus. What? Are you kidding me? You know, why not uh, another Moses? Why not another David? Why not a hero from Israel coming up to to champion us and champion our cause? And, uh, you know, and then this stuff about, you know, uh, the say to the, to the, woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting, or to a woman, 
with what are you in labor? It's like the stereotypical teenager complaining, I didn't ask to be born, right? Oh, <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. Um, yeah. Right. They want it yeah, that, their way, that, and they don't want to. They don't want to let God have it His way. You know. And, that, that's uh, right. Yeah. It's it's really this is a good kind of argument by showing the absurdity of it. It's like, right. You know, if you're going to say that, you're no better than that rebellious, crazy teenager, right? With that with that <laughs> you know attitude that we all just when we see it, we're like, oh, you know, yeah. <laughs> we all roll our eyes. Like that's basically what I what I think of your reaction right now, guys. Um, pause right there. There's a couple more things to, I think, get from these few verses. We've got to go into our break, but everybody hang with us. We're looking at chapter 45 of the book of Isaiah here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. November 22nd, 2019, KFUO Radio thanks our day sponsors, Albert and Rebecca Hobrach of Kerrville, Texas, as they give thanks to the Lord for the blessing of family. Albert and Rebecca made a gift to KFUO Radio in loving memory of Rebecca's father, Reverend Otto H. Kretschmann, who is in his heavenly home with the Lord. Thank you, Albert and Rebecca Hobrach, for helping us share the gospel and for being today's KFUO Day Sponsors. What's the value of memorizing hymns? Friday on Issues Etc. We'll continue our conversation on hymns in Christian devotion with Pastor Timothy Shoup, author of our Book of the Month for November, Praise and Honor Hymn-Inspired Devotions. It's also This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro, and we'll play Issues Etc. Soundbite of the Week. Issues Etc. Live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Our listeners and supporters are talking about worldwide KFUO. We live in Accra, Ghana, West Africa. We listen to KFUO through the internet. It's nice to listen to a church service going on here in the U.S. The music and the talk shows, it's been very uplifting, really encouraging. So thank you. Bringing the word of Christ to listeners around the world. To leave a message on the KFUO comment line, call 314 314- Nine nine six one five four two Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 45 today, and we're joined by Pastor Joel Sheltanis, pastor of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. We just read these verses 8 through 10 just talking about how this is this is God kind of anticipating the reaction of some of these exiles who are just like hang on what you're using you're using Cyrus uh, the thing is i mean we we are not surprised cuz we've been you know looking at Isaiah 40 through 44 here and we saw back in back in back in 41 i think it was actually we we're looking at that description where he's saying you know i'm i'm bringing up somebody from the east and at every step, they're going to be met by victory, right? And there's this description there um, in, in the first, yeah, it says there in verse 2, right? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot, right? There's this description that in some ways sounds like Abraham, 
was an Abraham, a conqueror from the east who went, uh, he did not know God, but he was called by God and he came to the west and he literally, he did, he went to battle against kings, right, when he was trying to rescue uh, his nephew Lot and he was given victory. And then in Isaiah chapter 44, how there was this description of um, Cyrus as a, as a shepherd, kind of like Moses, this idea of drying up the rivers so that they could cross through sounds like Moses. So, it, it, you know, we've kind of gotten to this point by God kind of easing his people into the idea of like, hey, I've done this stuff before. You really shouldn't be surprised. I'm not kind of changing the rules of the game here. I, I'm doing the same stuff I've kind of always been up to. Cyrus is in many ways doing what, what Moses and and Abraham did, right? So, so I mean, really, it's, um, it, as, as we were just saying, you know, if, it, if it's kind of a reaction that's like, you know, sounds like a, like a moody teenager, I mean, it really is. Like, they shouldn't be surprised. They shouldn't be complaining about this. God does this all the time. Absolutely. So, um, any other thoughts, brother, on this section here, like 8 through 10? I know I, that we were kind I, of no, mentioning... No, I, I want to... I think it kind of continues. I would have read uh, 8 through 13, and I kind of have a, a couple of thoughts if we want to... You want to take on eleven thirteen, and and I want to maybe circle back to some of this. Okay, yeah, that sounds that sounds good. Yeah, it completes okay. it completes the thought um, that starts off there, um, and I just want to make sure before I forget and to invite all of our live listeners. If you do have a question for me or Pastor Sheltanis, go ahead and call in one eight hundred seven three zero two seven two seven, or if you're in St. Louis three one four eight two one zero eight five zero. Or as always, email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So let's complete the thought here. Uh, Pick it up in verse 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him, Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I've stirred him up in righteousness, and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. So, yeah, so really, really completing the idea there and, you know, kind of in verse 11, right, saying, hey, are you going to tell me how I should save my people? Right, right. And and I think that this is the big idea here is that, you know, this is the problem with their complaint, and it's the problem that we still uh, face today is that uh, we want to question our creator, um, you know, and, and he's kind of like, look, you know, I don't need your advice on this stuff. Uh, Lessing's got a great quote. I got to just give it to you directly. It's from his commentary. It mm. says, uh, Yahweh's strategy is to silence the disbelievers and put the people back in their rightful place as receivers of gifts and not givers of advice, <laughs> which I just love that line. And, and I, I, I think it's what so many of us yet still do, and it's, it's reflected in the way we pray. Uh, you know, you hear this from time to time where people, they don't just uh, submit their will to the Lord. They, they want to give them advice. You know, and you should do this, and you should do this, and you should do this, mm. um, and and it, and it can sometimes reflect a, a complaint uh, that God can't you see it my way? Don't you see how much better it'd be if you just listen to me? And and um, and this is showing just how futile that is. Right. Uh, God doesn't need our advice. Uh, he knows what He's doing, and um, knows far more. I mean, how can creatures uh, fathom the works of their Creator? 
uh, when he, you know, he talks about stretching out the heavens and commanding all their hosts and, um, and, and so on and so forth. So it, it's really just this, this big idea that man is, uh, uh, it doesn't need to be in the business of giving advice to God. Right, right, and, and certainly, you know, we we pray to God and, and we lift up the the concerns that are that are on our hearts, but sure. we should do so sure. in humility, right? I mean, like saying, "Thy will be done." Yeah, Thy right. will be done every time. Not, you know, Lord, you know, my will be done. Here it is, you know. Right, um, and and so I think in that humility, then you 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 have to be willing to say, "Hey, look." Is God actually maybe answering my prayers, and I'm just reluctant to to say yes, right? You know, and um, and and yeah, and, and that's and that's I mean, that's, and we talked about this when we were looking at Ezra um, because it, it was dealing with the same theme of you know God doing all this through Cyrus, right? And um, just the question was, you know, are, well, are you actually going to go um, and go back to Judah, or are you just going to stay put in Babylon? And so, I mean, it was kind of addressing a little bit of a similar situation there. And we, we were talking about, I remember when we were talking about Ezra, you know, it's not hard to draw analogies to our own situation where, you know, truth be told, um, God has done a lot of good things in our context through um, very imperfect um, political figures, right? Um, but has blessed the church in a lot of ways. I mean, like it's un- it's undeniable that we are experiencing some of those blessings. So it's just, you know, we and we sometimes we, you know, my goodness, in, in the way of our political discourse, as polarized as we are, I think I saw some survey the other day that like at no greater time in American history has it become so polarized that like they asked the question. I think, um, you know, would you be mad? If your if your son or daughter married someone from the other political party, right, and um, just to show, just kind of like the the acrimony that's there, right. And I think right, back in the right. '60s, it was like in the single digits. People were like, "Well, no, sure, that's fine, whatever." But today, it's like forty some percent would be like disappointed and just, or just mad, right? Like, and it's and it's just um, you know, we just we're, we're so we're so polarized. But it's like, hang on a second, like, you know, you, you have to look around and be like, hey. Whether it's, you know, this guy or the guy before him or, you know, whoever your senator is or whoever he will be in like, you know, four years or whatever, like God is constantly using these people to do his will and to give us his blessings. And we should open our eyes and be humble enough to receive the gifts. And as you said, not merely give advice. Let's, yeah, let's yeah well, anyway. I, 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 no, no, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. I'm ahead, not going to get in, into please. politics. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have all kinds of ideas. I'm not going to touch it. Uh, there's enough. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Anyway, I mean, it's, it's my, always, del- it's always turning, delicate balance. My mouth is uh, trying to <laughs> – anyway. Um, uh, I, I want to also just point out in verse 13, uh, there's something else important going on. That it, I think we can transfer to the, or go on to the next uh, section here, but – he says explicitly about setting the exiles free, and it just mm-hmm. makes it absolutely clear this is talking about freeing Israel from, from yes. exile. And it's just explicit and needs to be pointed out that, you know, lest there be any question about what's going on here, uh, the captives are going to be let go. Right. Yeah, 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 that's right. He is speaking to this specific um, political situation, right, in, um, in Palestine at the time. You know, this is like, you know, like what, five, 539 in Cyrus waltzes into babylon right um but you know it is interesting how you know if we were to point you know we we just mentioned how it applies to our own situation and of course it it does apply to the work of our lord jesus christ because i mean i mean think about that right that you know in in his own day 
I mean, what was the instrument of God? Um, politically speaking, he was using the Romans. The Romans, right. right. <laughs> you right. know, I mean, like, you, right. you, I mean, you, if you're scandalized by him using um, Cyrus, like, you're really going to be scandalized by him using the Romans, because what's he even going to do with the Romans? I mean, he's going to use the Romans to destroy the temple, right? He's going to use right. the Romans to kill his own son. I, I mean, like, he's going to use these these... I mean, this really vicious empire um, to execute his will um, and, and to enact his purpose. I mean, it, and it really happens like in a, in a really big way because it's very dramatic, right? I mean, like they, they go and they, they try to put down a rebellion when they when they put to death the Son of God, but that ends up being the thing that opens up the way of everlasting life to all of us. So, I mean, it's it, it's real. It's it's just all the more unfathomable and all the more profound. Um, in the work of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, well, let, let's go ahead and look at the next section here. It picks up in verse 14, um, and, and it's kind of more one cohesive section to the end of the chapter, but uh, I think we'll probably just kind of pause halfway through just to kind of give us a couple things to chew on. Listen, can we do 14 to 17? Is that all right? That would be, yeah, I think that's, that's, that'll be perfect. Okay. Thus says the Lord, the wealth of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabians, men of stature, shall come over to you and be yours. They shall follow you. They shall come over in chains and bow down to you. They will plead with you, saying, Surely God is in you, and there is no other, no God besides him. Truly, you are a God who hides himself. O God of Israel, the Savior, all of them are put to shame and confounded. The makers of idols go in confusion together. But Israel is saved by the Lord with everlasting salvation. You shall not be put to shame or confounded to all eternity. So, yeah, I mean, it is a little bit of a turn here. Um, you, you get you know, the, the, the voice of the mm -hmm. Lord speaking of the, the wealth of Egypt and Cush and uh at Seba, and maybe that uh, warrants a comment here or there. But but then the, the voice goes back to God then with this really profound uh, comment, you are a God who hides himself. So, yeah, yeah so thoughts this here is in the, this section. Th this is the one I really want to uh, hone in on. I mean, uh, just to back up a bit again, uh, we said earlier one of the main purposes of using Cyrus is that Gentiles will acknowledge the Lord and that he's the mm -hmm. only one, and that's repeated here again in verse 14. But verse 15, you have this, um, it's kind of this breakout comment. It's not God speaking here. Right. Uh, even though it's, thus saith the Lord, and you have this quote with what the Lord is saying, and then it's, truly, you're a God who hides himself, O God of Israel, the Savior. And um, this is the prophet kind of, you know, blurting out. Um, Luther, in his commentary, says that if Isaiah, it's as if Isaiah were saying, you know, dear God, how, how strangely you deal with us, Right. Yeah. And uh, you, you, have, uh, you have something like this, uh, Paul, in his letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 11, he's, he's writing uh, about uh, various things and says, Oh, the depths and the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable his ways. You know, it's kind of this right. um, exclamation there. But um, this notion that God is a God who hides himself is... Uh, uh, a pretty important one, and you know, Luther uh, made much off of this uh, Deus absconditus, you know, the, the God who hides Himself. Um, it, it is uh, a, an interesting point with all kinds of implications. Um, 
you know, why doesn't God uh, show his hand? Why doesn't he uh, reveal what he's up to and, and, and explain it to us better? Why don't we, you know, there's, this is a common complaint of unbelievers, right? The atheist right. will say, if there's a God, why doesn't he just show up? And, you know, and whatever. And if I would believe him, I would believe in God if he would just do, you know, whatever. And, um, of course, Jesus corrects that uh, with the parable of the ra- Lazarus and the rich man. and says, right. look, even if a, a, a man rose from the dead, they, they, it's not going to help. If they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're out of luck. Right. You know, that's, if, and and, and that's, the, that's kind of the hint. You want to know where God reveals himself? It's in his word. It's in his word. And, and we'll see this coming up in a few verses here, too. Um, you know, in, in a general sense, we can have natural knowledge, and God reveals himself to us through his creation, through uh, morality, conscience. Um, and, and Paul says, you know, enough that we're without excuse. Uh, you know, every, every person can see. Uh, from what has been made. Um, and yet, it's not enough to have uh, a saving knowledge of God through just mere, you know, conscience and creation. Um, in order to really know God and, and uh, see Him revealed, we need to hear His Word. And um, God, of course, chooses to come to us through His means of Word, through His sacrament. He comes to us in, in His, his uh, incarnate Word, Christ. Um, and there, you think about how hidden uh, God's glory is that here the Son of God incarnate is going to be crucified and, and, and killed and, and, and utterly humble and, and, and in his humiliation, and yet um, this is God in the flesh, um, and, right. and yet he reveals himself this way. Well, well, right, and especially, I mean, yeah, I think you're right that this is this is this is Isaiah being like, hang on a second, because um, it, it, it is it is paradoxical that God would reveal himself right in a way that seems so mysterious it's like you know god's like hang on let me let me tell you more about myself and then he tells you something that makes you think i don't even i know less about god than i thought i did right i mean it's right, right. It, it's like no hang on a second are you trying to reveal yourself or are you trying to hide yourself and the answer is um it's it's one of those cheeky yeses right where he's doing <laughs> both at the same time he's revealing himself and hiding himself because um, just as we we're getting at earlier, he is on the one hand revealing himself to the Persians, and the Persians are going to say, "Hey, you know what? There's there's a there's some other god at work here who's letting us you know waltz into Babylon and do all of this, right?" Um, on the other hand, they're going to keep calling him Marduk, <laughs> right? <laughs> like they're not, they're right. not going to get his name right, you know. And and, right. uh, and so in that sense, he's hiding himself, you know. So it's just I mean, this is what's going on. It's just God is he's doing enough to make people think, "Hang on, there's something more going on here." But if you, if you just like you were saying, if you just go off of creation and conscience, you're still not going to get it right. Um, he's he's hidden, and it's only when you look at the word of Isaiah here. It's only when you look at the the word that's that's spoken by his messengers um, that you're going to get the full picture. That your eyes are actually going to be open to what's going on. And, and he's going to say this over and over again. I mean, coming up, we'll see it in, in this own chapter. But I mean. His word goes out and, and affects things, and it, and it reveals him. And it's not spoken in secret; it's it's out there so that he can be found and people can and can seek him, as we'll see. All right, yeah. Let's go ahead and read the next section. I want to read through verse twenty-one because um, there's a part at the end that that of course gets quoted in Philippians mm-hmm. um, that I really want to spend a little bit of time at the end talking about. Um, it's just I, I, I was just really excited when I saw this. Um, this chapter coming up like oh this is the part that you know philippian cites like it's just you know so it's one of my favorite parts in you know the new testament i sure. mean um, here it is in isaiah so i want to spend some time at that but let's read um, this first section here through verse 21 picking up at 18 
For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it, he established it, he did not create it empty, he formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. So, I mean, we're, we're kind of repeating this um, same theme that, we, that we've that we seen, you know, there's no God besides me. Right. Um, but also kind of picking up this kind of courtroom idea that we've seen now for a couple chapters in 44, 43, this idea of, you know, hey, you know, all of you foreign um, powers, all you foreign gods come together you've you've got nothing um because this is the only god who has spoken this and he says he didn't say it in the secret he right. said it to be heard and this is what really just proves that he is the only one it, uh, i can't remember which i think it was probably last thing again uh, but he says that uh, a part of the babylonian necromancers they would have these like dark seances and utter these unintelligible things you know and this is in contrast to that I didn't speak in secret in a land of darkness. I didn't, you know, but rather he spoke his, his word, you know, plainly. And it's not some esoteric thing that only experts have access to or something like that. Um, but right. he, he calls all people to seek him, and that implies that he will allow himself to be found um, and, and that he's accessible. Well, and you mentioned um, earlier how, I mean, like, this is different, right? Because this isn't like, um, what's so interesting, right, about the judeo-christian tradition is that it's it's open for everybody like there, there was right. no like hesitation about like yeah let's just you know go ahead and share this with people it wasn't like you know like oh well um, you're 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 not like one of the insiders yet you're not like you know thetan level 12 or you know whatever it is if i can draw an analogy to some other religious movements yeah. right there's this isn't like the, the secret uh, truth that you have to like pay a certain amount of money to get have access to i mean yeah they right. were like showing right. it to the persians right they were like here sure you know here it is we'll we'll translate it into other languages for you i mean they translated the old testament right into, into greek right i mean so uh, th this has always been true of God's people. That God's people have said, like, "Oh yeah, if you're you're from Moab, like, no, nah, no problem, come over here, right? Yeah, you want to yep. you want to join us? You know, check this out." So there's the, there's this openness that God has. It's not at all like the the secret, um, you know, necromancy and the sorcery that was going on in Babylon. Yeah, it's a curious phrase, isn't it? The, you survivors of the nations uh, that he's talking about. I mean, I just thought it was an interesting. Uh, I wanted to do more with it. I marked it for later, but I mean, since you're bringing it up, it's like. Um, you know, just like Israel has a remnant, there's a remnant among the Gentiles that'll that'll come and gather and 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 seek and be found or and, and find the Lord. It's mm -hmm. it's a fascinating sort of concept. Um, right. Yeah. Well, no, and we and we see that when you look at Ezra and Nehemiah, that I mean, it is it is a, a little bit of a mixed bunch that that finds their way um, back to Judah. Um, and, and but it's all it's always a mixed bunch. It was a mixed bunch when they were leaving Egypt, right? I mean, they they had. Um, some of the people who they, they met along the way, some of the the, the Kenites, right, who, who went up with them. God has always been open 
to letting other people join themselves to his people, right? Because you know, what matters and, ultimately is not, you know, this certain bloodline, right? Um, but right. it's, the, it's his know, word. He has brought this back. Uh, this this brings up something that he said already uh, back in verse 11. You know, he's talking about Cyrus and these objections, right? He says, will you command me concerning my children right. and the work of my hands? I mean, he's talking about Cyrus. My children, my, the work of my hands. You know, all of all of us are God's children. All of us are, are the work of His hands. You know, it's not just the chosen people, but uh, yeah, right. All of yeah, us yeah, are the, the children of God. You know, yeah. and that's uh, an important point. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And we we've seen that in Isaiah that that he like in the first part of Isaiah when he was talking about the Assyrian stuff, like in the 30s. Um, you know, he was talking about how he, you know, he disciplines even the nations. You know, he he calls you know Egypt his people. Right. I mean, like, right. I mean, just I mean, he's been I mean, the whole the whole book of Isaiah is just nothing but scandal from from from, from a Judean perspective. And just God seems to be way too way too loving towards the rest of the nations. Like, this is this is what's going on in Isaiah. Um, and then it gets worse. It gets worse, guys. Um, chapter 45 ends this way. Very cosmic, very like maybe let the Gentiles in just too much for comfort here. We we got to read this last section. I'm going to have a couple Absolutely. minutes here for this here. So this is 22 to the end now. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. So, I mean, there it, there it is, right? Yeah, um, wide open, everybody, all the ends of the earth. Every uh, knee, yeah. every every tongue, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, and then, of course, that's the language that, that you get later applied to Jesus Christ right. in Philippians. Yep, absolutely. Every tongue in heaven and earth and under the earth will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. What a beautiful passage, and it's here it is. <laughs> it well, is, right, uh, and, and, yeah. and what's, I mean, there's, there's so many things about that that are, that are so striking, like one being that, you know, this is clearly like, you know, to God here, right, to me, Every knee shall bow. Right? This is this is the Lord Yahweh is is speaking here. I am God. There is no other. This is like a super monotheistic passage, right? We were just talking about how in this chapter it's like, no, not Marduk. Stop calling me by the wrong name, right? <laughs> right like, right. no, not dualism. I do everything. This is like one of the most monotheistic chapters of the whole Bible. And then Paul goes and quotes it and says, "To Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess." That Jesus Christ is Lord, the word that's used for Yahweh. So I mean, like, I mean, there's there's something amazing about that. This is super monotheistic, and he's saying, yeah, and Jesus is God. I mean, and it's, so it point. just boggles the mind, saying, like, yeah. yeah, he's God, but there is only one God. I mean, it's, I mean, this, it's, it's a bold, bold citation and application of this Old Testament Isaiah passage here. It's a great point. That's a great point. And you know, in the local context, um, 
It really, it really is important to see this. So, of course, like you mentioned it earlier. Give us the full passage. There, there, it's you know, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's this you know cosmic scope that, like, at the final judgment, you know, everyone's going to bow to Jesus. Just, it just doesn't matter like where where you've been, where you happen to be at that moment. Like, everyone will bow when the Lord comes in glory. Um, in this local context, though, I mean, it's interesting to consider what's what's going on here. It, it seems like you know, like we were just saying though. Um, there is that future glorious judgment, but even now, the nations are being brought literally to this place, and literally there will be people from all over the world who find themselves in the reconstructed temple in Jerusalem, bowing to this God that they had never heard of, and had God not done this amazing and scandalous thing, they would have never had the opportunity to hear about this guy. Yeah, I, I don't know what else to say to that, AJ. I think you're, I, I think you're spot on. And <laughs> but yeah, it's a beautiful picture. Um, you know, I, I did have a comment here that obviously this sure. is not universalism. This is not right. to say that everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Right. Uh, but it is that you know at the end you're not going to have a uh, in the in the end you're not going to have a choice. Everybody's going to bow and and, uh, and and acknowledge who who Christ is. Um, and, um, you know, the plea here, again, go back to 22, is reverse course, turn, um, receive what I want to give you, the salvation that is yours, that, that, that's available to everyone. And what a great um, uh, message of, of hope uh, that, that's available to all people, um, uh, that, that salvation belongs, is for everyone. Right. Um, yeah. Amen. Amen. That's just that's just well said, right? It's not it's not universalism. It's not like well, everyone's okay. It's about God. That God is the one who is right. overall. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, brother. So great having you on. Uh, we should have you on more frequently. <laughs> I, I tell you well, what, you... I enjoy it. I do. It, it gets me uh, in the text. I appreciate it much. Hey, it's nice to talk with you. Not having uh, spoken with you, I look forward to meeting you someday in person. Sounds sounds good. Hey, come out come out to Southern California. We got a guest room. <laughs> sounds good. Sounds good. All right. Take care, brother. Everybody, that was Pastor Joel Shaltanis, pastor of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Plano, Texas. Looked at Isaiah forty five today. Moving on to Isaiah forty six next week. Thanks for joining us. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Check out their website. Always something new to check out about what they're doing, uh, spreading the word of God to all nations, for all people, just like we were talking about in this chapter. Check them out, lhfmissions.org. Have a good weekend, everybody. Until next time, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. You've been listening to Thy Strong Word, produced by the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.